0: And then I remember like one of my first months, I did 30,000 in a month and my teachers made 30,000 a year. So I was like, wait, if I'm making it a month, but they're making it a year, I don't know if I should keep listening to them or not (laughs) because they don't know about this online thing that I know about.
1: Love and light, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of El Podcast, the greatest virtual happy hour in the world. I am your host, Kai Primo, and I'm joined by my fiancé and super co-host, Jesse Wright. Once again, if you're new to the podcast and are not yet subscribed, please subscribe on YouTube. You can also find us on Rumble and download a podcast on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. And as always, we thank you all for listening and watching wherever you may be. Our guest today is Tony Delgado. Tony is a Latino-American developer, investor, and businessman known for his work in Puerto Rico's startup ecosystem. After Hurricane Maria, Tony quit his job at an investment firm, moved to Puerto Rico, and founded Disrupt, which is a movement focused on teaching entrepreneurship in Latin America. He's also the co-founder of Latino Wall Street which is the number one platform in Spanish to learn about the stock exchange. Tony also started Recession Proof, which is a movement empowering entrepreneurs on how to achieve success and wealth in any economy. So everybody grab a drink because today is going to be loaded with incredible information. And Tony, thank you so much for joining us. We're very excited to speak to you today.
0: Thank you, Kai. Thank you for having me.
1: All right, let's get into it. In your previous TED Talk, you quoted Bill Gates. It was the quote, if you are born poor, it's not your mistake. But if you die poor, it is. Can you elaborate on this quote?
0: Yeah, so that's a good one. I use that quote all the time. And full disclosure, I don't take medical advice from Bill Gates, but I will take some financial advice from him, right? And um. You know that kind of stings right the first time i heard that quote it really kind of stung right but if you think about it that quote couldn't be any more true today than it was 10 20 years ago when he said it the internet has created a democratization of information and commerce right so the example that i always give right i, I talk a lot about puerto rico and diaspora and things of that nature but the example that i always give is like my ancestors Right. They came from Puerto Rico. They came from Europe. And like they had to migrate and immigrate in order to seek opportunity. Right. So like my family immigrated from Puerto Rico to New York because they were looking for opportunities. Right. Well, that's not really the case anymore. Right. If you want to do commerce with the biggest brands in the world, you don't have to go to a big city and stand on a corner and have a sign, right? Thanks to the power of the internet, thanks to like stuff that we're doing right now, you can hop on a video call, you can hop on Twitter and you can literally talk to Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or anyone, any business maker or business mogul in the whole world and you can be doing deals. I've actually done millions and millions of dollars in online transactions and sales and programs and things that we've sold. And a lot of my customers I've never met More than 50%, probably more than 90% of the customers that I have, I've never met in person. I may have met them through an email, through a Zoom, through a social media, but actually physically in person, a big majority of my clients, I haven't had to meet in person. So the democratization of information, thanks to uh, telecom, right? First, it was telecommunications. That was a big revolution, just being able to pick up the phone and call people. And now the advent of the internet, you no longer have an excuse to stay in the situation where you were born, right? So you could be born... In a small province in Latin America, and as long as you have Wi Fi, that's one of our taglines is Wi Fi and a dream is all you need to succeed. And as long as you have Wi Fi, you're connected to global commerce. And not only do you have access to the world's information so that you can learn more, but you have access to the world's commerce so that you can earn more. So that you can do business with people all over the world.
1: Yeah, that's such a great great point that you made there like anywhere and everywhere anyone can make it it just takes the heart to understand it learn it and journey through the world of e-commerce and whatnot i'm curious how did you make your first dollar online
0: so i got introduced to online entrepreneurship kind of before it was cool Uh, there was no gary v there was no grant cardone or anything it was really um kind of this weird thing for nerds to use back then. So I had a computer in the early nineties, Bill Clinton and Al Gore had this huge initiative in the nineties to like digitalize the world and bring the internet, right? They always joke, they say Al Gore invented the internet. And they came to our school and gave a speech and actually gave personal computers t- to a bunch of students and then also put them in all the classrooms. Um, so I actually had a computer at, uh, since the second grade, my mother was a computer programmer in the eighties. And so we had access to the internet really, really early. So I was always playing around, tinkering. And then the way I made my first dollar online was on eBay and Amazon. So those were two e-commerce platforms that now everybody knows them back then. They were still kind of niche, right? And I was selling mixtape CDs. I was selling t-shirts what else was I selling back then? Basically anything I can get my hands on. I was also selling things around the house, right? So I think anyone that starts on eBay is just like, oh, what do I have? Oh, okay. Oh, all right, I have, a, I have a bear. Okay, let's take a picture of the bear. Let's sell it, right? But then I think the thing that I found the most successful early on was mixtapes and then like T-shirts and clothing and stuff like that. It was crazy because I went from making maybe $300 a day to then like $3,000 a day. And then that was always my goal. My goal was always like, I want to make $3,000 a day because I had done the math and that meant that I could make a million dollars in a year. So I was like, okay, $3,000 a day, if I'm making $3,000 a day, Like I'm on track to make a million in a year. And then I remember like one of my first months, I did $30,000 in a month and I had known that my teachers made 30000 a year. So I was like, wait, if I'm making it a month, but they're making it a year, I don't know if I should keep listening to them or not because <laughs> they don't know about this online thing that I know about, right? So I ended up dropping out of college. I had some really great teachers and mentors along the way. So I had in fifth grade, our math teacher introduced us to the stock market. So I got that information really early.
1: And, in fifth grade? Or yeah, sorry, literally sorry, in tenth fifth grade. grade.
0: In fifth grade, oh, in we fifth were grade.
1: oh, so you're one of the lucky ones,
0: yeah, yeah. I guess you could call it lucky, sure.
1: Yeah, most kids don't get taught that, and that's why it's <laughs> like, so yeah, and you, I wasn't you in had a head start, you had the internet early, you it was in yeah, a public school, was... but
0: we just had a rogue teacher that was like, I'm gonna teach you guys the stock market.
1: That's um, awesome.
0: So, yeah, I had I was blessed, but I was also, you know. Had some crazy teachers too, but I was blessed with a few good teachers in the public school system. And yeah, but that was sort of how I was off to the races with with e-commerce, selling stuff on eBay and Amazon. Eventually branched off, started building my own websites, my own e-commerce. And back then it was really hard. Like now it's so easy. Like you have Shopify and you have like all these tools, plugins and stuff and drop shipping. Like you can literally just like connect your store to something. It was a little harder back then to kind of spin up these stores and do a lot of this stuff. But um, but the opportunity was incredible for a kid that was 18 to be able to be on track to do seven figures in a year. I mean, it was crazy. I dropped out of college. Then I did go back and I studied computer science and coding at Rutgers University. But I did that later in life. I did that as a young adult in my late 20s. Um, so in between, I had worked in corporate for a little bit, doing uh, corporate IT, I ran a bunch of businesses. I sold my first business when I was 21. I started an an online e-commerce, kind of like before Shopify. It was like a platform that could create online stores. Um, Because one of the problems that I ran into early on was eBay and Amazon would freeze your account for whatever reasons that they saw fit, right? I kept hitting these roadblocks where like, make a lot of money, account will get frozen. They lock your funds up for 180 days and then they pay you out after six months. So I ran into that roadblock early on when I was younger. And so I knew that I wanted to create like a competitor. So I ended up like creating this e-commerce competitor to eBay and Amazon back then. It doesn't exist anymore, it was called but that was sort of my first dive into more of a software development and software as a service type of thing. And again, this was what, 15, 20 years ago? There was no Gary Vee. It wasn't really cool to do stuff like that. It was much more sort of fringe. Um, yeah, what year was that? Yes, yeah, close that's to 20 awesome. years ago now.
1: Like, year. Yeah, that you're literally one of the pioneers. You were one of the first ones that were doing that, for sure. That's incredible.
0: Yeah, well, especially in the communities that I grew up in, right? Like, I grew up in an urban environment where everyone listened to hip-hop and everybody was either Black or Latino or some sort of crazy background or some sort of an immigrant, Irish immigrants, Italian immigrants, right? But I grew up in, in a very urbanized environment. I didn't grow up in Silicon Valley and so that was a game that was really only played in California on the other side of the country, right? There was no Google headquarters in New York City. There was no Twitter headquarters. Like that Silicon Valley stuff was like something really different, very foreign, right? And then I remember in 2015, I think it was, I went to Silicon Valley for my first time to go to uh, – A tech conference from a company called Twilio, all these cool sponsors, people from Microsoft, Amazon, and the founder of Twitch was there. And he had just sold his company to Amazon for a billion dollars. He gets on stage and he points at everyone in the audience and he says, you guys are the doers. You guys are the people making technology. There's more people out there that want things to be made than the people that know how to make them. So you need to go back to wherever you're from and you need to ask for a raise and you need to go and get more money because you guys are the doers and the creators. And he had just sold his company for a billion dollars. So he had like a lot of credibility at that point. And then I remember coming back to the East Coast and just knowing that like I was like destined for more, you know.
1: During your TED talk, you said, and I quote, if you're not making money online, you're in trouble. This was in 2020, this was COVID time. Explain why you said that at that time.
0: It's just as true then as it is now, but if you're not in an online business, you're gonna be out of business, right? Even if you're a coffee shop, even if you're a pizza place, the fact of the matter is the world is now digitalized. You see that a lot in Puerto Rico. There's a lot of amazing restaurants, amazing businesses that are local that may have not gotten digital, And then they're going to miss out on all this revenue because when people come in and they're looking for a new restaurant, they're going to go right on here. They're going to go on their smartphone. They're going to go on Yelp and they're going to search, or they're going to go on even Apple has it built in now into maps, right? They're going to go on their map and they're going to say, Hey, I'm looking for a restaurant. I'm going to sort by stars, right? If you're not in that list, you're not even getting considered as a place to go, right? The internet is the new compass to the world. And so you have to be partaking in it in some way. And whatever business that you're in, you're now in a software business, essentially, because you need to digitalize your products and services. So I love to use the restaurant example, because no one would think of a restaurant as a tech company, right? But the most successful restaurants that I know, they're on Uber Eats, they're on Yelp, they're on every single digital platform where they can attract an audience, they are there. And that is going to dramatically increase their bottom line. And the store that is not there, the store that is not listed, is going to get left behind. You know
2: How important is social media to marketing for an online business? You have your typical social media platforms, whether that's Twitter or Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, whatever. Then you, of course, have blogging or blogging. Then you have more your traditional press releases and things like that. Is there any particular social media platform that's better for really promoting your online business or what are some of the social media hacks to grow your business? I see that you have over a million Instagram followers. Uh, people back in the day used to say Instagram was this master platform and now people are saying it's kind of with TikTok. What's your thoughts on that related to building an online business?
0: Well, the one thing that I'll say about social media is that building an audience on social media is great. But when you're building an audience on social media, you have to realize that you're building on rented land, on land that is not your own. So at any point, social media is incredible to create community, create connection with your audience, uh, to build brand awareness. So it's an incredible, incredible tool. But at any point, a few different things can happen. Number one, your account can get shadow banned for whatever reason, right? You could use the wrong hashtag. You could be completely innocent, right? You'd be a cookie company. You use the wrong hashtag and Instagram, or you post the wrong content. Instagram could decide that your content's boring compared to like a TikTok dancer, right? And the algorithm can change and they can just stop showing your content to the people that decided to follow you, right? So that can happen. Number two, the platforms that are cool can change. So like Snapchat was really, really big a couple of years ago. Nobody talks about Snapchat anymore. MySpace, when I was a kid, everybody was on MySpace, right? Vine, there were actual entire celebrities that got created because of Vine. Vine reminds me a lot of TikTok, where it was this incredibly viral platform, short form content, all these new creators, people that were never famous, didn't have a social media following anywhere else, go on Vine, they go viral, and then they create these brands. Some people migrated from Vine over to YouTube or Instagram or another platform, and some people didn't, and then they just, they don't exist anymore. It's like, oh yeah, that person was famous on this thing called Vine that nobody remembers, right? You need to remember that you're building on rented land, that the platforms that are cool can change. It's a great way to connect with your audience. It's a great way to attract a new following, but your ultimate goal needs to be getting people off of that platform and now onto an email and a text message subscriber list so that you can communicate with them outside of the platform, outside of the internet, social media monopolies and not being tied and a victim to the algorithm. Yeah, social media is great, it's incredible. But I think the number one thing that people should be focused on is building their email and contact lists for their customers and then building a brand that's recognizable that when TikTok or whatever the new thing is that comes out, they're like, oh, no, I know Tony. Let me give him a follow on this new platform. It's The second they see you, they have that brand recognition and that brand credibility. It's really funny because I know people that are doing like, 20 million, 100 million in sales online, and they don't have Instagram. There's this woman, Brooke. She's a life coach, incredibly successful, empowers women all over the world. She just started her Instagram. She just started it, and she did did like, I think, 100 million in sales or something close to it. Social media is important, but it's not the only thing. The more important thing is connecting with your audience and building real relationships and a lot of that happens it can happen on a podcasting platform it can happen on zoom right a lot of people that i've seen they've built entire business models and what they'll do is they will pay social media to get their traffic you have basically two business models right or attention seeking models you can do organic content which is great and then you can um work with other influencers and collaborate, right? Collaboration has been really key to our success on social media, doing Instagram lives, doing podcasts, doing a photo or a video clip where you tag both people, right? That's a new feature called collaborations that both Twitter and Instagram have. I'm not sure if TikTok has it yet. But that's a great way to build an audience, right? You interview someone or you do a collaboration with someone with a larger following, and then you can connect with each other through social media and get new awareness around your brand, right? So that's a great way to, again, gather attention on social. Now, once you have that attention on social, you need to get them onto an email newsletter. You need to get them into your database. And now you have an audience that you own, right? The audience on social media is rented. The audience on your database, your customer database is the audience you own. So a lot of the people that I've seen that have been really successful on social media, they will actually just pay the social platforms for traffic, which you can pay them. Then they're running traffic to a landing page, get them off social media, capture their email address, and then you can direct the traffic wherever you want. Right. So if you're doing a zoom class, you can direct the traffic to zoom. If you're doing a YouTube live, you can direct the traffic to the YouTube live. Right. So that's what we did with Latino wall street. We didn't have a YouTube account. I think two years ago, the YouTube account didn't exist at all. When I met my wife, Gabriella, her name on Instagram was Gabby wall street, and she was doing private coaching under that brand. And then when we came together, we created Latino Wall Street, because I wanted to be more inclusive of men, and I wanted to be more inclusive of other people. And then it was interesting, because after that, we had all these other people changing their names. And it's, I'm I'm Johnny Wall Street, I'm Jose Wall Street, right? So it was really cool to see that movement. But so, so we had a Gabby Wall Street a YouTube page, but we didn't have a Latino Wall Street YouTube page. So two years ago, we made the decision to start a corporate YouTube page. And what we did is we hammered our email list. And every single time we were doing a live class, instead of only doing it on Zoom, we would do it on Zoom, but then we would also do it on YouTube and we would send our traffic to YouTube, right? Right. So, those 11,000 people, and we were able to gather 11,000 people in a year, right? So, those 11,000 people that followed us, they were our people. Like, I was directing my people. Like, sure, some people may have discovered us because of YouTube, but like a lot of them were people that came from Instagram, came from Facebook ads, right? Came into our mailing list, which is over 100, close to 150,000 people at this point, right? They came into our email list list, they were in our database and then we directed them to YouTube, right? So now if YouTube isn't cool in five years and now the next cool thing is like Rumble, right? I know that I can do the same thing, right? If I'm hosting my class on Rumble, I'm just like, hey guys, everybody go to Rumble. Here's the link. I'm sending it in emails. I'm sending it in text messages, right? And now I control the list. I control the audience. The biggest problem that I see influencers and people building brands run into is they'll build this huge following. Hey, I got you know 10 million people on uh, Instagram. I have 10 million people on YouTube, right? But they have no way to contact them outside of the algorithm, which means if the algorithm changes, if user behavior changes and they go to a different platform or even eventually people like people forget their passwords, right? If you're not using it for business, right, you don't freaking care. Oh, whatever. I'll just get another YouTube account, right? So if user behavior changes and somehow they can't see your content, now you have no way to contact your audience. I think the most valuable thing when you're building a brand on social media is to simultaneously, and it's almost like a hidden Thing right, nobody knows that we have 150,000 people on our email list, right? But like, while you're simultaneously building your brand on social, you need to be building this customer database so that you can direct the traffic to the new sources, the new platforms when those things arise.
1: That's awesome.
2: (laughs) It's interesting because the strategy really hasn't changed in years. Back in the day, it was like get the email list, now it's collect the email list. And, and on top of that, it's collect their the text message list. Can you just break down the steps to your ideal funnel, which it seems like ultimately it's leading to building up that email list?
0: So the software that we use is ClickFunnels. I'm a big fan of Russell Brunson and all the stuff that he teaches. But you can use any software. But I, I highly recommend ClickFunnels. It's really easy to use. But especially so he never he never I see, seems but, to
1: age too. Russell oh, Brunson. it's crazy!
0: I saw him in person recently. I was looking. I'm like, dude, what the hell? Yeah, he has that young boy face. Yeah, We're talking about Russell Brunson, but the joke we say is when he started, he looked like he was 12. So now he looks like he's 21, even though he's like probably 40. But uh, yeah, he's a great guy, though. But so I'm a big believer in Russell, big believer in ClickFunnels and that software and also the things that he teaches. I mean, read .com secrets, read expert secrets, two really good books. But essentially, I mean, breaking down the funnel, the biggest problem that I see, right, is people will drive traffic to – a Calendly, or they'll drive traffic to a Zoom link, or they'll drive traffic to some other booking page, right? Um, and they may or may not even be collecting an email address, right? And then even if they are, it's not falling into some master database that they can then follow up and email these people. There's two ways that you could do it. Um, but the way that I like to do is by using funnels, right? So funnels are basically landing pages that have one goal in mind, and that goal is to capture your email address and then get you to the next step in that funnel, right? So if, for example, I was going to book a call, right? Let's say I'm a, I'm a lawyer, I'm an accountant, and I want to book a call with you, right? One strategy could be I could do a story on social media, and the link could be, hey, click here to book a call, and I send them straight to Calendly, right? Right? Another example could be, hey, click here to click a call. They go to a landing page that I've built out on ClickFunnels. That landing page might have a video, might have some testimonials, some other social proof to really make you feel good about booking the call. And then I'm going to capture your information and I'm going to then on the second step, I will have the calendar where you can then book the call. But on the first step, I've captured your information. I know who you are. You're going to go into my database. You're going to go into my newsletter. I might have an email sequence to to warm you up, right? So I might be sending you five days or 10 days of emails going through some of our success stories and maybe some of our tips or some sort of a value that I could provide. But the whole point is you can't be building things like on rented land, and that actually makes you resistant against censorship as well. Because if you get censored, what's this boy that just got canceled? Andrew Tate, whether you like him or not, they just silenced him. He can't communicate. If he's only on social, he's not able to communicate outside of that platform. Whereas if you have an email list, like you're basically like uncancelable. That's why I don't care. Yeah, about that- That's why like people are like, oh, you post crazy stuff. I was like, I don't care. I post whatever I want. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, because I, I was
1: seeing that on your Instagram. I was like, how? But like, I never knew that. So I always thought that for some reason I had in my head, because as I was looking at my behavior, being on email lists, like I never look at them. I always just want to delete them. Sometimes it's okay. I'll sign up for an email list. And then later on, I'll never engage with that email. And so with my behavior, I was like, email's got to be dead there's no way that like people are reading this stuff. Like here's another newsletter, here's another whatever. And I'm like, there's no way it's Like, why do people keep talking about email lists? And now I'm realizing, and I didn't know this before. So thank you so much for this. This is like a massive amount of information.
0: Think about it like this. I, and I hear what you're saying, right? If you get an email from like bed, bath and beyond, right? Like going to bed, bath and beyond, you buy a pillow. And then all of a sudden they're like trying to sell you pillows. You're probably going to ignore that. But If you get an email from Brock Pierce and it says Brock Pierce in the title, you've done business with him before. You're going to open that email. You're going to think it's from him, right? Because it's someone that you look up to, you've worked with, whatever. So it's kind of the same thing, you know, like, yeah, a certain percentage of people won't see them. That's why I actually recommend like emailing once a day. Sounds sounds super aggressive, but in in the scheme of things, it's really not. Okay. Um,
1: how many convert can you tell how many opens the email and converts to go to the next landing page yeah, or the next or
0: sure. yeah there's all the, all those statistics it depends on the email depends on the offer depends on how many people you send it to we usually get like 20 or 30 percent but it also wow. depends it depends on what you're doing you know um yeah
1: but that's, um, a, that's a big big conversion to, out of all your impressions I think 20 30 percent is a big conversion to move him over so that's the other mind on that one social
0: media has us like a little brainwashed where we think that you need a million or a hundred thousand like the thing that i always say if i had a hundred people in a room that's a really big room that's a lot of people if i have a hundred people if i had a hundred people marching down the street with me right it, that would probably they probably call the news and say what's going on here. There's a hundred people walking down the street in the middle of the street, right? But you get a hundred likes on a post and you're just like, oh, it's only a hundred likes. Like it's a hundred people, it's a lot of people. So I think social media kind of gets us misconstrued. You get a few hundred people or a few thousand people on a Zoom. I mean, you can do anything.
2: Yeah, you're you're really early to the online game and the internet has allowed anyone that has internet access and a computer or really a cell phone to build a business. When you first started out, like you're saying, you were kind of a tech geek and there was a lot more barriers to entry because yeah. people are like, oh, the internet. And a lot of people kind of thought it was a joke. But now obviously everyone knows what the internet is. Do you think in today's climate, especially after you know COVID or <coughs> COVID, I mean however you want to pronounce it like in cancel, but you know, where everyone kind of really hyped up and really the online presence just got smashed right? With, with COVID. But do you think that there's such a fierce and competitive nature to the online market space that anyone is able to still build an online company and build a business through the virtual world? Or do you think that now there's so much competition that there's certain skills that maybe you have to have? You can't just be using techniques that you utilized 10 years ago, or maybe you still can. What do you say as someone that's actually is successful and has built several online companies?
0: My favorite quote is that everything works. The Only thing that doesn't work is not doing anything. Right. If you don't take any action, then like that doesn't work. But like, yeah, you can do stuff that worked 10 years ago and, you know, maybe it won't work as good as it did back then, but it'll still work. And in some ways it might work better, right? The other thing, like you were talking about competition, like, is it too late cause there's too much competition, right? There's more competition, but there's more users on the internet. So it's like, you gotta also have more customers, right? It's really not even the, it's these things. It's these smartphones. Everyone has them now, the speed, like you can do video conferencing, like what we're doing now, right? That stuff didn't even freaking exist 10 years ago. Internet was too slow to do so much video, right? so much video, video, video. But literally, you can have a company with just an email newsletter and never do a video ever. And that is still something that would make money. Now, would you make more money if you started doing video and adding that so that your audience would connect with you in another way? Yeah, sure, that you would make more money that way. I definitely think that it's not too late. There's companies... Oh, I'll give you a company that I learned about yesterday. I believe it's called Crumples... Uh, maybe uh, Crumbles or something. I'm probably saying it wrong, but anyway, it's a cookie company. They have a viral TikTok, and every month they come out with a cookie of the month. So they will come out with these crazy like cookies and cream, Snickers, and rainbow, you know, rainbow passion fruit, whatever. And so every month they come out with these crazy cookies. They sell the cookie for five dollars. You can buy it online. It's like a complete online cookie business, and they have like millions of followers on TikTok. And they, I think they might run it as a franchise. I don't know, but it's in all these different cities. You can like order it on Uber Eats as like a cookie and they like deliver it to you. And they built this whole cult following and like it didn't exist a year ago. And there's all these businesses that you can point to that are like that. Like Mr. Beast created this Beast Burger concept, something similar where like it's an online only restaurant right and i love to use restaurants because it's really accessible right I, I talked about starting an app or like something so fancy it might be like oh i can't do that but like anyone could start a cookie company anyone could start a pizza shop you can start a pizza shop out of your house um, there's a term for it i forget what it's called but um i think it's called
1: the virtual kitchens virtual
0: kitchens boom there you go virtual yeah. kitchen so like anyone could start a restaurant now out of their house posted on Uber Eats and on these online platforms and then the orders come in and you just ship and you can actually start five restaurants out of your house because you have a wings shop, a pizza shop, a sandwich place. You can have like three or four virtual kitchens out of one kitchen and i don't know the regulations ask a lawyer if you can do it out of your house maybe you have to depending on the state you might have to have a some sort of safety regulations but the point is you could start five restaurants at once and not have a storefront property even if you had to rent a commercial property it could be on the 25th floor right it wouldn't matter you didn't you don't need like the brick and mortar like element of it so yeah there's just so much freaking opportunity out there it's it's crazy yeah um, my, my was- understanding
1: was they partnered with Like with Mr. Beast Burger, I think they partnered with restaurants that already have restaurants with kitchens all over the country. And then they would give them the different packages. The ingredients, the recipe
0: or whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah, the recipe and the packaging. And now all of a sudden there's 300 Mr. Beast Burger restaurants that you can find on Uber Eats. It's just incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no. And so that's uh, an example. And so that example sounds like something that, oh, well, only Mr. Beast can do that because he has X amount of followers. But it's not really true. Anyone could do that. A- anyone could do a similar business model like that. You don't really have to have a, a huge following to do it. He obviously leveraged his brand in that way. The other thing is is really just paid ads are such a such an unfair advantage if you can learn how to leverage them You can just pay for an unlimited amount of eyeballs and you can start with as little as like $5, right? Like you could put in $5 a month. A good friend of mine here in Puerto Rico, he's a tour guide. And I'm like, dude, spend $5 a day. Spend $5 a day. Just target the airport. When anyone comes out of the airport, just show up in their feed and you would get customers, right? So like, yeah, you could spend millions of dollars on Facebook ads and get all these people, but you don't have to. You can literally start with $5 a day and just target a local audience. And like, you've never been able to do that before.
2: Yeah. When I was doing Facebook ads, I think I was doing between 5 and $10 a day. And it was between 2,000 and 4,000 eyeballs, which is insanely cheap considering... That's the hundred and fifty to three hundred dollars a month. I think like back in the day you couldn't even pay that to be in say the yellow pages.
0: Yeah, no, it's incredible. There's so many opportunities. But again, it's just like everything works, but you have to do stuff and try stuff and test and not be scared to fail. I just had a newborn baby, so he's like uh, eleven months now. He's learning to walk. And I was talking to a friend of mine and we are saying how like, he doesn't care if he falls, right? He gets up, he falls and he just laughs. And then he gets up again. He's like, look, I'm standing, I'm standing. And then he'll fall again and he'll laugh. And so I think when we're young, we're not conditioned to view failure in the same way. And that's really the most powerful tool you can have as an entrepreneur is to embrace failure, just learn from it. And it's just data points that you can then use to iterate and change, right? So many people try one thing, The thing doesn't work the first time, which like really nothing works the first time. And then they like try something else completely or they completely quit and give up. Right. So if people can learn to be okay with temporary failure, they're going to be more likely to find long-term success.
1: Let's talk about your behind the scenes. I'm sure you've had to hire a team. When you are first starting out, you probably was doing this on your own, figuring things out. What was the first position you hired? And then how do you build the team behind you to, to kind of scale up?
0: So the first two people we hired was a video editor, content creator, photographer, guy, and a coder. And I remember before I moved down to Puerto Rico, we printed, I think it was 20 Disrupt shirts, right? So we had these shirts, printed them, Disrupt, right? And then I went into a meeting to close the deal and it was $10,000 a month contract. And I go in there with the uh, two other guys that were helping me start the company. We're wearing our disrupt shirts, the three of us. And then like that deal was the deal that then we signed and like started the company. Right. So like wouldn't have been able to start the company if like that deal didn't get signed or right? as a first consulting contract. And then I remember We came to Puerto Rico and I had one suitcase with like my normal clothes. And then like one suitcase was just filled with disrupt shirts. And it's like, I'm gonna find like a freaking army of people to like wear these shirts and like work for me, right? Those were the two first roles that, that we hired was someone to do content creation and then someone to do like web dev and tech and all those things. There's a lot of different parts of business but a lot of them in today's landscape can really be outsourced and crowdsourced and things of that nature. So if I was going to do it again today, maybe I wouldn't have done it in the exact way that I did. But I think we're also at a unique place in the United States that our currency is really strong, right? We have the strongest currency in the world. Even they keep printing it or whatever, diluting it, but it's still like one of the strongest countries and currencies in the world, right? So what that allows you to do is, again, thanks to the internet, you can hire people in all different countries, right? So my team, it looks like the United Nations. My team is made up of, I have contractors in Mexico. I have contractors in Venezuela, in Colombia, in Peru, in Mexico, in the Philippines, like literally like all around the world. We have people working for us. I even have a guy in Africa. And it's so cool because it's borderless. The world is now borderless thanks to the internet, right? I actually didn't ever go to like target any of these places, right? I never went like, I'm gonna target the Philippines. I'm gonna target Africa, right? It's like, these are people that met me on the internet like reached out to me and it's like, Hey, like my girl in the Philippines, she DM would me and she was like, Hey, I'm really good at graphic design. Like, If you need anything, let me know. And so I entertained it and she turned out to be amazing. And now she's been working with me for years. Same thing with the guy in Africa. He was like, Hey, I'm a really good copywriter, right? If you need anything, let me know. And so then I was like, yeah, I started giving him some projects and he was good. And now he's been with me for a bunch of years, right? So it's like the world is so small, right? If you could be in a province in Africa, and just dm me and say hey i have this skill i want to work for you tony you can do that you can do that to any entrepreneur so that goes back to the first quote that we were talking about in the beginning right there's no excuse anymore the internet connects everybody you can dm anyone as long as you have the internet internet's the, the differentiator so as as you have the internet your country of origin doesn't matter your passport status none of that stuff matters anymore and that's why you actually see it's so funny So my wife's from Peru, she was born in Peru, she came to the States, went to NYU and like got her citizenship, became Americanized, right? And she's like so proud of her like blue passport, right? And then you have like Americans that like, they wanna get rid of their blue passport, right? They don't want it. So yeah, so to go back to the original point, it doesn't matter where you're at, right? You could be in a province in freaking Africa and you could DM a bunch of entrepreneurs and say, hey, I wanna work with you. And then it doesn't even matter his passport, or his bank account status or anything, I was having trouble kind of sending him PayPal. It started out by sending him PayPal. Then we switched to crypto at a certain point. And now we actually use this platform called Deal, which is really great. It helps you stay compliant in all these different countries, right? There's always different countries have all these different laws and regulations, whatever. So we use this platform called Deal and it connects all of our independent contractors to it. And then we send one wire to Deal Deal will send individual payments to all these people and then they can choose how they wanna get paid. They wanna get paid with uh, TransferWise or crypto or uh, bank transfer, PayPal. They can choose it on their end. And me as the vendor, I send one payment and it's like magic.
1: I've seen those deal ads. So they're literally handling your payroll basically globally. You sent ones and then they just...
0: Yeah, it's kinda like a payroll alternative for the contractors, yeah.
1: Yeah. I remember seeing your post one day on Instagram. I remember that you were like, hey, does anybody want to learn how to make money online? If you want to intern, you want to learn and something like that. I looked at that multiple times. I wanted to reach out and I was just like, man, I want to learn from you, you know, because I've always wanted to understand how to do it. I've kind of tried. I've always like failed. I've had attempts like, oh, how do I do this? How do I do this? I like, trying to learn ClickFunnels, but I figured like I meant to learn for a master would just be amazing. And I knew you were in Puerto Rico, but I was so busy working with Brock. It was just, I was just too busy that I was never here. And so I never reached out. And now it's like, I wish I had because I, I would have learned already like so much from me. Like, even if I helped you out in like little things like you would have showed me, even just this podcast, there's a ton of incredibly valuable information, just like even for us. So um, well, this, it, this it, is I think the biggest hack you, you
0: guys are doing right now is having a podcast. So that's, I got like a PhD in entrepreneurship by starting my podcast. So like I was able to have like similar to what we're doing now, these hour long conversations with like millionaires and billionaires and badasses. And I'm just like, this is so valuable. This is crazy. Right. So that's another thing. Like I I, probably another piece of advice, like if someone's starting out in entrepreneurship, they're not sure they maybe they don't have the budget to pay for like some high ticket coaching or consulting program. Right. You can start a podcast. And by starting a podcast, you can interview entrepreneurs and get insights. And it's a value exchange. You guys are going to help me do some marketing and some publicity, right? I'm going to get featured on your show and all these other cool people that you've interviewed. And then for you, not only are you getting the content that you're able to leverage, um, but you're also getting like the information, the ability to sit down with all these entrepreneurs. So yeah, that's, I highly recommend that entrepreneurs that are getting started, start a show, Because again, in this landscape where everything's digital, I mean, when could you do that? What did Oprah have to go through to start her show? It was really hard. All these contracts, like one in a million chance that she would be able to have her own show. And now you can just like open your laptop and do it, buy a little bit of equipment and maybe learn a little bit about the intricacies of the software, but you can do it and you don't have to have some big company give you an approval, a one in a million approval of being able to do it. So yeah, I'm a big believer in, in starting podcasts and media companies. We started Disrupt Magazine, is a media company. Now we have over 2000 contributors on it. I started it in my basement, my, not literally, but basically in a basement and it was just me writing for it in the beginning. And I give a few of my friends contributor accounts and now there's 2000 writers and, uh, and it runs on autopilot. I, I don't do much. My- much for the publication. I That's read awesome. A while, but yeah.
1: How do you invite people to contribute? Like, like they just start an account? Because I did see as I create button. an account.
0: Big green button, create an account. I learned that from Thrive Global, which is Ariana Huffington's publication. So she sold the Huffington Post, right? That was like a magazine, magazine. And then she started Thrive Global, which is more of a niche publication. It's supposed to be about like work, work-life balance, these different things. And so she had that. She just had log in, make an account. And I was like, that's genius. I'm just going to do that. So one day I added the button, make an account. And we still have to police the content a little bit harder and things of that nature. But yeah, I mean, it's literally as easy as making an account. You
2: know, currently we're in 2023. Which way is the best way to make money online right now? I mean, you got all these people talking about Chat GBT, like AI, is now all of a sudden this hot issue. A few years ago, it was crypto, and after the whole FTX collapse and Gemini, the crypto spear is kind of collapsing on itself. Not that some of these projects won't emerge years from now, like we saw with the dot com collapse in 2001. I have a lot of friends that. We're very successful with Amazon affiliate marketing back in the day. And now Amazon has really slashed their affiliate marketing compensation. I hear a lot of people that are like, I wouldn't do anything with Amazon, whether it's fulfilled by Amazon FBA or whether that's Amazon affiliate marketing. So what would you say to a 20-year-old kid? Hey, hey, Tony, it's 2023. Let's start an online business. I'm all in. Tell me, give me the secret, give me the goal, Tony. What would you say?
0: Well, well, I mean, one of my favorite quotes is not about how much money you make, it's about how much money you keep. It's really easy to make money online. There's a bunch of different ways to do it, right? We spoke about a bunch of them today. But if you're not saving and you're not building some sort of an investment outside of your active income, um, you know, great quote from Warren Buffett, if you don't learn to make money while you sleep. You're going to work till you die, right? You have your active income and then you have your passive income, right? So the first thing you need to figure out is how do I make active income, right? So a lot of people, they try to jump straight into crypto. They're like, I'm going to buy $10 worth of crypto and it's going to go to the moon. It's like, okay, well, that's probably not going to happen, right? You need to have an active income source that's super strong and that you're making all this active income and then take a portion of that active income, get it off of your checking account and get it into an asset like a crypto, like a stock market, some sort of a long term asset like real estate, where it's going to be able to grow. I famously posted on Instagram, I, I cashed out a bunch of stuff in like the crypto and NFT space last year, like a year and a half ago before the crash. And I had a bunch of profits. And I was like, life-changing money is only life-changing if you cash out, guys. So I'm going to cash this out and go buy a house or something. Like, I'm not going to sit in in uh, JPEG cartoons of monkeys, right? <laughs> I'm going to go buy a house or something, right? And I'm super happy that I did. Like, I literally, like, kind of sold the top of Board Apes um, because uh, it was during the other deeds mint. And then, like, right after that, stuff started, like, really coming down. But yeah, so it's like active income and then passive income, right? So the passive income is like, you know, the crypto, the NFTs, the stock market, the real estate, right? Like, and you want to be building that. You want to be building that. But number one is your active income. How are you going to make income? I have three levels of online digital entrepreneurship, right? So level one is the one we were talking about in the beginning. It's e-commerce, right? You have a commodity and I want to buy it, right? So if you're selling this bottle of water, I don't care who you are. I don't care your background, your resume, how many other bottles of water you've sold. Like maybe I want to make sure that you're not a scammer. You're not going to like take my dollar, right? But besides that, right? Like I don't care. You have a commodity. I want to buy the commodity. So I'm going to do business with you. So e-commerce is like the best way to get started just because you could be a 15 year old kid. I don't care. If you sell me, if you send me the product, then I'm going to be happy, right? So you want to find arbitrage opportunities where in one market, something is more valuable than it is in another market right so people do that with sneaker trading right that was really big when i was a kid i think people still do that right they buy a pair of sneakers when it comes out and it's in such demand it's limited supply and then they go and they resell it on the secondary market so they're buying it at the lowest price they're selling it at a higher price you can do that with drop shipping right so e-commerce is a great way to sort of and get your feet wet with online entrepreneurship. You'll learn payment methods, right? Hey, I need to accept credit cards, right? So all these things that you'll learn in e-commerce, I think it's a great place to get started. The second level is some form of digital consulting, digital marketing agency, some sort of a consultancy, right? So then you can go to a small business or even a larger business and say, Hey, I know how to make money online. I was selling t-shirts, Right? I know how to do e-commerce. I know how to do websites. I know how to do Shopify. I know how to do copywriting. I know how to create podcasts. I know how to do X, Y, and Z. So first you have to do something. Once you've now done something, you can now charge people to do it. Right? So right now you guys could start a podcast consulting company. You can go to people and say, hey, if you want to start a podcast, we know we figured out the distribution. We figured out X, Y, and Z. And now you can do that for others. Right? If you had a Shopify, you can go to a local business. You can go to a pizza shop and say, Hey, do you guys not have e-commerce yet? Well, I can now go and install that for you. Right. But a lot of times people will jump and you can just make this jump, but I recommend kind of doing something for yourself first. A lot of people make the jump. They're like, I want to be a consultant. It's like, well. You haven't done anything, so your consulting is not really worth that much, right, because, like, you don't know what you're doing. But if you can point to and say, hey, you know, I sh- I'm i doing podcasting, so now I can teach you. And the biggest thing is you – people think they have to be an expert. You just need to be, like, one step ahead, right? If you're one step ahead from the person that hasn't gotten started yet, then you can actually help someone get to where you are. Right. And then by the time they get to where you are, you're going to be at the next step and you can help them on step number two. Right. So the second level of online entrepreneurship is digital consulting, digital marketing agency, right. Helping people do things done a done for you service. And then the third level, and again, people like to jump, people like to, they never even done anything and they want to jump to that third level. The third level is then information product business is like, hey, I'm now an expert in this field. Not only have I had my own podcast or had my own whatever online business and I've done it for myself, I've also done it for all these other businesses, right? I have all these success stories. Now I'm gonna write the book. Now I'm gonna create the course. Now I'm gonna host the workshop or do the class or teach the stuff because now I have uh, the expertise and the credibility in that industry, right? So those are kind of like the three levels of online entrepreneurship.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's packed. That's like really packed with information. We started this podcast last October. We're consistent as much as possible, daily short posts, weekly consistent. But the growth is still slow as with anything, right? So even if we don't have followers, we can potentially offer creating podcasts for people. Because we've done it. We actually know how to do it. Even in just the last four or five months, we've already amassed immense amount of information.
0: Well, you could probably do this for people with bigger followers than you even. You could go to some influencer, someone that has a bunch of following, but they probably have never done a podcast before, right? Or they have a big business, but they don't have the time or the expertise to implement it. And you can do it because you know how to do it. You figured it out. You just have to be, again, one step ahead. You could go to Walmart or Starbucks and pitch to Starbucks and say, hey, we want to do Coffee Hour. We want to host a podcast called Coffee Hour. And we're even going to be the talent in it, right? We'll interview the people that we think are going to be aligned with your brand. And we can even hypothetically be the the talent for it as well. But those are like the three steps. The first step is like do something. The second step is teach others to do it and kind of done for you. And then the third level is like, hey, you know, and then in between, there's all sorts of hacks. So you were talking about affiliate marketing, we are affiliates for Tony Robbins and Dean Graciosi. So their last challenge, they did this big online event, it was freaking amazing. And then we were in their private affiliate program. And we were able to share their links out to our audience. We believe in their products, we've given them hundreds of thousands of dollars to go through their products as consumers. But now we're on the other end, we're able to promote their products to our audience, their products that we believe in. And we're able to get a commission from people that joined, right? And we had a bunch of people joined and we actually did a special offer for our audience that anyone that joined with our link, they would get not only six weeks of coaching with Dean and Tony Robbins, they would also get six weeks of coaching with us and we would do Spanish interpretations of what was happening. So even though some people speak both, but they feel more comfortable in Spanish, we were doing like a Spanish study group that they got as an extra value from buying through our link. So that's another thing too. Like if you're somewhere in the middle, you can do affiliate marketing. You can add some of your own education to an existing offer from a more experienced course creator, right? And then you're on your way up to that third level of the ladder, right? Like if you're in between two and three, it's a great It's a great, powerful tool to do affiliate marketing for other thought leaders and educators, right? And you can go on, what's it called, ClickBank? ClickBank is one of them. Uh, Some sketchy stuff on there, but it's at least good to give you an example. But there are affiliate marketing platforms. Hotmart, there you go. Shout out to Hotmart. They sponsored our last event. They're awesome. Shout out to Hotmart. Hotmart's a great example. You can go on their marketplace. Les Brown is an affiliate through Hotmart. So if you wanted to sell Les Brown's courses, you could sell them through Hotmart, get a commission, right. And then give an extra class of your own. And now it's almost like you have your own course with Les Brown. Billie Jean is marketing is also on their platform, right? So the same thing, you wanted to come out with a marketing course. Maybe you're not the best marketer in the world, but you know what? I want to partner with Billie Jean. If you buy Billie Jean's course, I'm also going to give you my podcast course and boom. And now you have an offer with Billie Jean, you're doing a revenue share with him. So that's another thing way if you're somewhere in the middle, right? If you're in the middle of, you know, level two and level three, it's like affiliate marketing, partner with an influencer, and that's a great way as well.
2: Yeah. Kind of switching gears here, Tony, you got your family and roots in Puerto Rico. I believe you were born in New Jersey back on the mainland. In your TED talk, you were saying that there's about 5.8 million Puerto Ricans that are either on the mainland or they're dispersed internationally. The island of Puerto Rico itself has about 2.83 million Puerto Ricans. Puerto Rico, Back in 2008, 2009, put in Act 20 and Act 22, now Act 60, which are tax incentives, basically to try to bring people to the island of Puerto Rico, whether they're Puerto Ricans or people from the mainland, entrepreneurs, quote-unquote thought leaders, people that actually are building projects and building companies, including yourself. You moved back to Puerto Rico and you started your business, Disrupt, and you have... A lot of other things going on in Puerto Rico. Were you brought back because of Act 60, Act 22, these tax incentives? Or what was the reason that you came back? And do you think that these programs are actually working?
0: Yeah, definitely. I didn't come to Puerto Rico because of the tax benefits. I came here to do humanitarian work after the hurricane. Didn't know about the tax benefits. But as soon as I found them, I was like, hey, can a Puerto Rican get some Act 20? Let's do this. Right? So I was excited when I when I found out about it. And I definitely think it's genius. To all the critics, let's speak to the critics. For all the critics of the program, and I know there's a lot of victim, uh, a victim narrative that somehow rich people moving to Puerto Rico is somehow creating... Uh, a worse island for everyone else. Um, I want to remind everyone that these programs were created by Puerto Rican government officials and they were created to stimulate the economy. And the favorite quote that I have from the former governor of Puerto Rico was, I would rather share in prosperity than share in poverty, right? So I would rather share my island and create prosperity. And you have to realize the fact of the matter is when you move to Puerto Rico and you do this program, I've done the program. I know all the ins and outs. I know everything it costs. You don't pay 0%, you pay 4%. But if you didn't move to Puerto Rico, you wouldn't be paying any money to Puerto Rico, right? So you're paying 4% in taxes and 4% of millions and millions of dollars is more than... 30% This is 30% of a small salary, right? So when you go and you compare and you're like, oh, this guy doesn't pay taxes. No, he's probably paying, you know, a lot more in taxes than the average citizen of the island, right? Because if the person is ultra high net worth, they're making a hundred million dollars. They're paying $4 million in taxes every year. Do you get it? So it's a lot more money than the average citizen will be paying in, right? The Elon Musk, famously did this recently where he was, he, I think he paid one year more taxes than any human in the history of the world. And they were still criticizing him saying somehow he did not pay enough taxes. So just keep it into perspective that 4% is 4% of a lot of money. So it actually adds up in a lot of these cases. Number two, there's all these other requirements, right? So I had to hire a lawyer in Puerto Rico it's a Puerto Rican lawyer, He's now, I have multiple lawyers in Puerto Rico. They're now all getting all this business that they wouldn't have gotten. If I didn't relocate my business here, I hired Puerto Rican accounting firms, the same thing. All these people are getting jobs All this job creation is happening All this economic stimulation is happening and it wouldn't have happened. If my business didn't relocate down here, you are required to purchase a home here. I've now purchased three properties here. Every single time I purchased properties, there was a real estate agent that got a commission from my properties. I did renovations on those properties, created all of these jobs to renovate those properties, right? construction workers, contractors, hundreds of thousands of dollars I've invested back. And I'm not a big fish, I'm a small fish. And hundreds of thousands of dollars we invested back into the Puerto Rican economy. It's probably in the millions at this point. You're required to make a donation to a nonprofit as part of the act, right? So every single year, I've been donating to the Boys and Girls Club of Puerto Rico. I grew up as a Boy Scout. I think that's an incredible thing. So we've been donating to the Boy Scouts here in Puerto Rico, right? So there's all this economic stimulation that's happening to the island. Now, one person is not going to make a difference, right? One guy just buying a house and renovating it is not going to freaking completely turn around The island that's been having economic problems for decades now, but a accumulation of many people moving here, buying real estate. I see there's some influencers that they criticize that the property rate is going up. It's getting more expensive, right? The real estate in Puerto Rico. Well, for me, that's a good thing because who owns all the Puerto Rican real estate? It's Puerto Ricans. Who owns most of the real estate in Puerto Rico? It is Puerto Ricans. We have a lot of home ownership on the island. It's like, you know, I think it's more than 90% of the people own their homes here on the island. We're not a renter economy here on the island. So if the real estate prices are going up, that is going to economically benefit Puerto Ricans. If the economy is getting stimulated, if more homes are being bought and sold, if more businesses are getting started, if there's a need for more lawyers, a need for more accountants, a need for more real estate and all these different industries, right? All that economic stimulation is going to end up benefiting Puerto Ricans and Puerto Ricans that most likely would have left like my family did, right? And like millions of other Puerto Ricans have left to Florida, have left to New York, Because they're looking for economic opportunities and the opportunities don't exist here. I think the biggest problem with Puerto Rico is what's called the brain drain, where you have the smartest people, the most ambitious people. They just leave because the business opportunities don't exist here. So if there's new entrepreneurs that are moving here, starting businesses, creating economic development, that's a win-win. It's a net positive for the island. And the other thing that you need to realize is Puerto Rico is a melting pot. Puerto Rico is a mixture of Spaniards, of Taino Indians, of African-Americans, of uh, Europeans, people from the UK and Italy. It's a melting pot. I've met Puerto Ricans that are Russian, that are Jewish, that are Arabic, right? Puerto Rico in and of itself is a melting pot. So to then somehow say that new people coming here is a bad thing. I mean, new people have been coming here for 500 years. This is where America started. This is where Christopher Columbus landed. This has been an island of immigration since its inception. So to somehow say that you know new people coming here is a bad thing, I would be worried if it was the opposite, if it was broke people moving here, if they were like, yay, we want to have like Broke people move to Puerto Rico. I'd be like, no, just don't do that. Let them stay in the United States. But if you have people coming here that have the resources to rebuild, I mean, I think that's a beautiful thing.
2: Right. You don't want to be like California where you legalize basically homelessness and drug addicts. And and honestly, bring in, I bring think in those these people, people haven't
0: traveled. Yeah. They haven't traveled. If you go to California, it's a hellhole. You would never want to have your state be like California.
2: You know, Kai and I would know, be out. And obviously, I'm a super gringo. Kai's a gringa. But I think people probably don't realize she's a gringa because of possibly other elements of her physical appearance. But when people talk to us, I'm like, what are you people talking about? I'm like, you want to move to California and pay $5,000 a month for some POS condo. You might be making more money, but you actually have no more disposable income. In your TED Talk, I saw that you actually showed a map of the top 10 states that live paycheck to paycheck. California was number two. Hawaii was number one. New York State was number three. Where are most of the Puerto Ricans that moved to the mainland? What is it called? A a New Rican? They all live in New New York York City. Right. So you're moving to New York City, one of the most expensive places, not just in the, in the United States of America, but actually on planet Earth. Even if you're making 80000 a year, are you really getting ahead? And I would say the answer for most of those people is probably not. But if you're just going to be doing the exact same thing you're doing in Puerto Rico, you're going to get the exact same results unless you're trying to better yourself your influence and have the ability to, like you're saying, success is contagious. If you surround yourself with successful people, you will find success, whether that's through osmosis. I don't know about that, but you certainly will find yourself with success. Well, that's
0: another big benefit of all these people moving down here is right. like Even if you don't directly do business with the people that are moving down here, they're hosting events, they're hosting podcasts, they're doing all this innovative stuff. And then you kind of have that trickle effect where it becomes contagious, the information becomes contagious. The other thing, just to talk to like younger, maybe younger Puerto Ricans that may be thinking about moving the leaving the island, there is a program called the Young Entrepreneur Program, Act 135, that any Puerto Rican under the age of 35 can make up to a half a million dollars a year tax-free until age 35. If you're a Puerto Rican entrepreneur, you should be investigating and signing up for this because you could be having a better deal uh, potentially than even the people that are moving down here on the act 60.
2: Right. Isn't that part of the same program that bad bunny is taking advantage of? And then bad bunny came out with a video, basically attacking all the people moving to Puerto Rico along with Bianca. He basically had this entire documentary with Bianca saying how these gringos are coming in and driving the price up of rent. and, and yeah, he, but I saw in he, he move to L.A. He, he was part of 135 from what I understood. I just, and then now, I just yeah, saw he's he like bought bouncing. a mansion so, in L.A.,
0: like a $40 million mansion, so I don't even think he's on yeah, the
2: that island. That, right now, but. So he took his tax-free money from 135 and then bounced to L.A. Is that yeah. is that what happened?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure all, all the details, but I mean, the one thing that I will say is like you can it's it's a touchy subject because I I do understand like the other side of the aisle, which is they don't want Puerto Rico and we don't want like I don't want to become a state. We don't want Puerto Rico to lose its culture. We don't want it to become Hawaii, right? So I'm super on board with that sentiment, right? I want Puerto Rico to become, to, to become the best version of Puerto Rico that I can become, right? But I don't want it to become Hawaii. I don't want it to become California. I don't want it to become New York. And I actually remember when I first came down from New York, I kind of my first knee jerk reaction was like, I need to make this place more like New York, right? Because, like, in New York, we make money and we're fast. And, and then I was like, wait, but there's actually something special here. The thing that makes Puerto Rico special, the reason why it's so calm and it's so peaceful and there's still nature and XYZ is that there's a different culture here, right? Like, you walk down the street and someone actually looks you in your face and says, good morning, right? And says, buen día, right? So, um, so you know there's the one side of the aisle which is like gringo go home and i don't support that at all i think that's ignorant and i think if if uh people if puerto ricans were moving to miami and to orlando like they do historically and new york and people were screaming you know spick go home i think that would be racist and i think it's very racist for people to say gringo go home but on the flip side i think puerto rico does have a unique culture i think it does have a unique history Right. Um, so I definitely don't want Puerto Rico to become like the next Hawaii or whatever it is. But again, I would just point to not being a victim, taking full personal responsibility. And if you think that if you're a bad bunny and you have unlimited resources and you think that Puerto Rico should have more Puerto Ricans in it, then maybe don't buy a freaking mansion in LA. Maybe actually buy your mansion here in Dorado, right? If you don't like that Dorado that the Ritz-Carlton is filled with all these gringos, well then buy one of those mansions and then that'll be one more Puerto Rican that lives on that property, right? But don't complain and be mad because someone bought a home, right? Like you, do you believe in personal property or Do you want to become Cuba, right? Because Cuba doesn't believe in personal property, right? Cuba will just make a decision. Government can make a decision and say, you don't own your home anymore. Venezuela, the same thing, right? So like, uh, if you believe in personal property rights, well, then you believe that people can have the right to buy any piece of property that they want. And I think that people should actually take action. So I have a friend of mine who was going to a protest for Luma, right? They were protesting against Luma right? And I was like, okay, great. What do you guys want? Like, what's the solution here so we can work towards that? And he didn't know. He's just like, I'm an activist. I'm going to go protest. I was like, great, but what are we protesting? Okay, what do you guys want? Because maybe they'll do it, right? Maybe you ask them and they can do it. So I feel like a lot of the activism it doesn't have a goal in mind. A lot of it is, is based on, you know, Hatred and fear and victimhood. Hey, we're victims. Right. But it's then it's like, OK, what is the solution? Is the solution we put solar panels on everyone's house. Right. OK, great. That's a solution. We can actually do that. We can actually go door to door and knock on people's homes and put solar panels on their house. That's a real thing that we can do. Right. But if we're just protesting Luma and we actually don't have a goal in mind, well, then that's counterproductive.
1: It's just a mob mentality. But I think really the disconnect when we're young, we're idealistic. We want to participate in protests like we're on the right side of history. I did the same. I'm just I'm waking up. I'm having a political awakening myself. But I was an idiot. I just like, sorry, not to call it idiot. But I wasn't aware that I was protesting, but I didn't really know what the hell I was protesting about. Something said something that sounded good as they could come along to protest. But I was there yelling, shouting, screaming without knowing what it is that I even want or what it is we're protesting about. So a lot of people can just get in the wave of that mob mentality. But it seems like the disconnect. You mentioned Act 135. How much did the government advertise this to that demographic, the young Puerto Ricans to incentivize them to start businesses here and work here, how well do they know that exists for them? Because it seems like I think that the tax incentives are only for the people that don't live here. So, do the kids know? Are they taught that in college that this exists? You can take advantage of this. I feel like they just probably don't know that things also exist. The whole point of it is, you have people from the outside bring in money. You can build businesses here and grow and have an income with it amazing benefits, tax-free. You can make up to $500,000 a year tax-free. That's pretty phenomenal. How well do people in Puerto Rico know that there's incentives for them?
0: Yeah, no, they definitely don't know. That's why I, I always bring it up when we have these conversations. I brought my lawyer, my my Puerto Rican lawyer, Juan Carlos, on stage at the last Disrupt event. And we spoke all about Act 20, but we also spoke about 135 because yeah, I, think that probably people don't know about it, everything gets solved with personal responsibility, right? Like, you have to be the change that you want to see in the world. In order to not be a victim, you need to take responsibility for every single thing that happens, even if it's not technically your fault, you need to make it your fault, right? And that's the only way that you're ever going to be empowered, right? So like, for me, right, like, Luma was not really working very well. So we put solar panels on the roof of our home. So now I have solar panels sometimes those solar panels don't work. So I also have flashlights, right? (laughs) So like, I'm not just going to sit in the dark and then just be mad. I'm going to buy a flashlight. I'm going to buy a backup. I'm going to buy five backups. I have another backup to charge my phone if the thing turns off, right? It all has to really boil back down to personal responsibility and not being a victim, right? And the more, and that's the part of Puerto Rico that I want to see change, especially in the youth, because the more that people can take responsibility for their lives, the more that they'll be able to change their own lives, right? If you're waiting for the government to save you, you'll be waiting for a really long time. If you think statehood is going to save you, like Flint water still has, Flint, Michigan still has dirty water, right? Like statehood is not going to save Puerto Rico and neither are the gringos, right? The only way that um, any change is going to happen is is if people start taking personal responsibility for their lives, right? And learning about these programs, right? Puerto Rico is also not advertising Act 20 either, right? The reason that people find out about it is because they're in small circles or they're listening to podcasts like this and they find out about it. But it's not like Puerto Rico is out there advertising any of these programs. Right. That's really not what governments do best. They're not good at marketing. So it's really taking personal responsibility. And hey, listen, if there's a Puerto Rican and they want to relocate to a different place that might treat them better, then I encourage them to do that. Right. Some Puerto Ricans that have relocated to Dubai because they may not qualify for certain benefits here, but they'll go to Dubai and get them, right? Um, So again, it's all about personal responsibility. And again, if a big influencer, you know, multimillionaire like Bad Bunny believes these things, which I think he does believe them, then there's a lot of work to do. I think the biggest thing that people can do is to just live here. That's when I came down here and decided to relocate back to the island I knew that even if all I did was live here, at least my money would stay in this economy. So at least when I was paying my rent, when I was paying my bills, when I was buying food, going to the grocery store, like at least all the money that I'm spending will be going into this economy. But you want as much money as possible in this economy because that's how it's going to grow. So I think the people that want to see change in Puerto Rico, we need to stop waiting for the government to do something about it and actually do something ourselves. The government of Puerto Rico is historically corrupt. We brought up Bianca. Bianca never wants to talk about the actual government of Puerto Rico. The U.S. is always sending money to the island and those funds are constantly being misappropriated, right? In Hurricane Maria, I went to a school in the south of the island. We gave away um solar panel lights to all the kids, battery backups to all the kids. We brought them pizza and food and stuff. And then we were supposed to have a meeting with the mayor of the town. And the mayor of the town was in Orlando. He's hanging out. So like I'm there like on the grassroots and he's hanging out in Orlando because he doesn't want to be there. Right. This is it like a small town in the South of the Island? Right. So like, I think there's a lot of, um, You know, and I don't know if this guy was corrupt or not, like, who knows why he went to Orlando, right? But um, I do know for a fact that there's been a ton of corruption in Puerto Rico. It's been very well documented. The only real way to affect change is from the grassroots level and from the personal responsibility level. I would love to see all of the people that want to affect change run for local office, right? Right. Go become the mayor of these towns. These towns are very small. There's 77 municipalities in Puerto Rico. It would be very doable to see a lot of these towns flip and have more young, progressive, idealistic people become the mayors of these towns and then actually impact the change. Don't wait for federal government to do it. It really has to start at a grassroots level and also at a capitalistic level, right? Like let the private sector kind of play its part. That's kind of the idea of the Act 20 program is that like entrepreneurs will come down. And then if there's a beachfront property that's distressed that needs to be rehabilitated, well, an investor could go like the Vanderbilt Hotel. The Vanderbilt Hotel was almost about to go out of business. And the guy that moved down here is a billionaire. He's not even on Act 20. He actually still lives in New York, but he came down here. He saw that property. He was thinking about doing Act 20, ended up not doing it, but said, you know what? I'm going to buy that hotel and I'm going to fix it because that's a national landmark. That's, a, that's the Vanderbilt's home, summer home that got converted into a hotel. That's a national landmark that we can't let that hotel go out of business. So he acquired that property when it was bankrupt renovated it. And now it's a beautiful property, creates all sorts of jobs, creates all sorts of commerce and tourism and money that flows into the island, right? has multiple restaurants in it, Michelin star restaurants, like some of the best, definitely the best restaurants and one of the best locations in San Juan, if not the whole island. And that property wouldn't have existed if an international investor didn't come in and say, wait, great, I want to invest in that, right? The government wasn't going to do that. The government's not going to fix all of these problems. It's really entrepreneurs that need to come in and fix them and solve the problems. And the more investors and the more entrepreneurs that are here, the more opportunities for them to collaborate, work with local leaders, and do the work, right? But there's a lot, a lot, a lot of work to do. And it's not going to get solved by becoming a state. And it's not going to be solved by waiting for daddy, daddy Biden, or daddy Trump, or daddy Obama to come save us. Um, it's really going to be on us and it's going to be on capitalism and entrepreneurship to rebuild the island from the ground
2: up. You touched on a topic that I think is really permeating the U S and Puerto Rico, which is the sense of victimhood. It seems like now they're trying to divide society up into your victimhood status. So it's the people that are oppressed versus the people that are oppressors. When we're cruising around the island. Yeah. A lot of the Puerto Ricans constantly talk about how they're victimized.
0: Yeah, they call it the colonial um, mindset. Yeah, Puerto the- Rico basically has never had sovereignty <laughs> before. The United States took it over at the end of the 1800s. I think it was like
2: 1893 or something. It, it was 1898 after the 1898, Spanish.
0: There you go. And then before that, it was Spain. So it's always been a colony. So there is a colonial mindset which I'd love to see Puerto Rico be independent. I think that'd be super cool. It might mess up some stuff, but I think it would be super cool.
1: So that mindset is so generational. And we're talking, it goes way, way, way back. And that's like almost embedded in people's DNA and fascia passed along through their ancestors. But now let's talk about how do you shift that today? You're doing one of the things where you came here and built this route and you're teaching when you hold these events, you're inspiring a lot of young entrepreneurs and the young Puerto Ricans to shift it to self-reliance. And I've got to build it. It's up to me, right? And that starts erasing that mindset. But man, it's generational. What else needs to happen for that mindset to shift a lot faster? Because once that the mindset shifts... It's a domino effect, and now it's like you have pride to stay here, to build businesses here, educate yourself on the tax incentives, and it's going to be up to youth. It's very difficult to change someone's mind after their parents and grandparents have talked about, oh, man, this, we're colonized, we're oppressed, and you just think that about yourself up to your adult life.
0: Yeah, definitely. People need to realize that no one's coming to save you, right? No one's coming to save you. You got to be your own savior. And I think it starts with education. It starts with media, podcasts, and Spotify playlists, and all sorts of positive affirmations and things that people can do to sort of reprogram their brain, being really careful and intentional with what you put in. One of the biggest problems I I feel that it's not only Puerto Rico, all of Latin America has is the media channels. A lot of them are filled with like telenovelas, right? That's like a really famous thing. It's like basically soap operas in America, they're called soap operas, right? So that's a really big part of the culture. And if you watch Spanish TV, you'll have like a news that's like a really heavy propagandized news. And then you'll have like these soap operas, these dramas where people are very dramatic, right? And then you'll have these morning shows and things of that nature, right? But that really shapes the culture And there's not really like a Bloomberg TV or a Wall Street Journal or a CNBC type of a financial channel or anything in Spanish media. So that's part of the reason why we created Latino Wall Street was because we wanted to create an alternative educational source where people that do speak Spanish as their first language can tune in and turn it on and listen to people talk about Money and commerce and empowering themselves, right? So it's kind of like to give it to an American comparison. It's like if you watch the Kardashians all day, right? But then there weren't any other channels, right? So they're locked out of a lot of information. And if you're not bilingual, you're just locked out of all that information. I mean, imagine if um, you know Tony Robbins and Grant Cardone and all these entrepreneurial speakers, right? Robert Kiyosaki. Imagine if all these guys they spoke Chinese. And all their books were in Chinese and they were never translated. None of their content was ever translated. It was just all in Chinese, right? And, like, if you don't speak Chinese, you're just locked out of all that information. Um, so we need more Latino and Spanish-speaking entrepreneurial thought leaders, creators, authors, etc., to get that message out, right? Now, like, some of these... Authors that I mentioned, Grant Cardone being one of them, and Robert Kiyosaki, their books have been translated. So it is cool. Like in our office in Puerto Rico, we have those books translated and we give them to our staff to read. And our staff most of them are bilingual, but but we still give them because it's easier to read it in your native language. But it's also there's also something to see someone that looks like you, that talks like you, that like that you can really, really relate to. And there are badass freaking latino businessmen and entrepreneurs and billionaires right so how do we highlight them right Um, orlando bravo is one of them right orlando bravo is a puerto rican billionaire born in maya west started a hedge fund in new york forbes listed in the cover of forbes then came back to puerto rico after the hurricane and started this fund to invest into puerto rican businesses right but like there are a bunch of examples of latino billionaires and badasses that you know, probably need to get their name out there a little bit more.
2: I have a business in Chile and the Patagonia. I've lived in a lot of Latin American countries. I've also lived in Hawaii for years. One of the things I absolutely hate is when they say island time. And they said the same thing in Hawaii and all these other countries I lived in. Like if you say one o'clock, it could mean two, it could mean three, it could mean four o'clock. Our business in Chile, all the advice I got from other business owners is don't hire any Chileans because they'll just never show up on time. They're just on their own clock. I've noticed that here in Puerto Rico, you set a meeting at 11 o'clock. And if you set it with a Puerto Rican, maybe they'll show up at 11 o'clock 3 weeks later. And you know, they all like laugh and joke and think it's funny. But I'm like, you can't run a business if you have no idea what time someone's going to show up. You literally plan not just your day, but you plan your week around time. To me, the most essential part of running a successful business... It's just the fact that you have to have a schedule. And if you don't have a schedule, how the hell do you do anything? And then just to be like, oh, we're an island time, ha ha ha. Like, we, we'll show up at, you know, we'll show up whenever we want. Like, to me, that's not cool. You could be a billionaire, you could be a trillionaire, you could be a quadrillionaire. The only thing that equalizes everyone is everyone has the exact same amount of time in their day. Everyone has 24 hours a day. And I think like this whole culture of like, oh, we'll just show up whenever we want, like literally ruins an economy because you can't plan anything. I just don't understand how you ever think you're going to get ahead when you can't even follow a simple calendar.
1: We haven't had hot water for two months. It's a pain point for Jesse right now. I think that goes back again to what we were talking about, that it's a mindset. It just is a mindset. It's like New York is hustle bustle. And that's just a mindset. New York's been hustle bustle since the beginning of New York because people move to New York to go hustle bustle. Aside from Orlando, are there other entrepreneurial influencers that are making content, making podcasts, stuff like that? Because that's, I feel like where this is going to shift
0: yeah no there's definitely like it's a a mindset but you you know yeah there's definitely a lot of um puerto rican entrepreneurs i mean i could give you a whole list of guys that have amazing podcasts that are creating a bunch of content we had a bunch of them speak at our last event chris from jet trades which he he was in a little bit of a little hot water lately but he's been back on social media and and he built a a crazy brand and uh, jose galindez and there's there's a big I, I could give you a whole whole list of uh, people that are kind of like Puerto Rican Gary V types besides myself because I think that I'm also kind of waving that flag. But the other thing that I would say is like probably just don't take it personal. I don't think that they're not showing up because it's you. It's it, it is part of the culture, and it's kind of weird. But uh, it might it might be weird if you come from a, a larger city, but. That is definitely part of the culture, and it is also something to maybe look at and consider. I'll give you an example, short story, and then I know we have to wrap up because we're running low on time. But I'll give you a short story: is a buddy of mine built a house out in Kulebra, and a big, beautiful house. Took him years, like a house that probably should have took one year, took like twenty. Right? It's like this big, beautiful house, and obviously you have to. Culebra is an island next to Puerto Rico. It's part of Puerto Rico, but it's a separate island. So you have to bring all the materials there on a boat. And it's just really, really difficult to build this house. And then he finally finishes the house and goes to the beach every day. And he notices this guy comes to the beach and sells shish kebabs every day. And so he comes to the beach every day, comes out with 10 shish kebabs and comes out around noon. People come, buy the shish kebabs. And every single day he sold out. So every single day he comes with ten shish kebabs, sells the shish kebabs, then packs up his stuff, goes home, leaving by two, two o'clock, right? And so my friend Harry goes to the guy and tells him, "Hey man, why don't you bring out more than ten shish kebabs? Like, if you if you brought out more than ten, you'd make more money." And he goes to Harry, he's like what the hell is wrong with you? You think I want to be out here all day working? I want to freaking go to the beach myself and I want to go drink on my diet and I don't want to be here working all day selling shish kebabs, right? So it's like a completely different mindset, right? The, the millionaire guy is like very industrial and is like, hey, you should be selling more shish kebabs. But the guy from Puerto Rico is like, no, I just want to enjoy my life and I don't want to be chasing money every single day. The first thing you might think, coming from New York, uh, you know, super – capitalistic type of mindset, right? It's like, oh wow, well like this guy's stupid, right? Cause he could be making more money, quote unquote, right? But if you really think about it, like from a freedom and quality of life standpoint, the local guy kind of has a point. He has a choice of how he wants to live his life and he's chosen to prioritize the freedom of his time over chasing extra income. And it's a kind of interesting paradox because as entrepreneurs, we always claim that we want financial freedom. We always claim that we want free time. And then I know myself as an entrepreneur, I get stuck and I'm like, I have this gorgeous pool. I haven't jumped in it all day. I've been here working. And the pool's right there. It's my pool. Nobody else is allowed to go in and it's right fucking there. And even then I'm fucking there in my laptop and I'm like going crazy and I'm like not taking time to like enjoy the pool that I paid for. Right. So again, we were talking earlier about like the culture and how do we shift the culture? Obviously, there's a lot of things in Puerto Rico that that need to change, but um, we shouldn't be so quick to change Puerto Rico that we don't see that there is also a magic here and people enjoying their quality of life is maybe something. I know Puerto Rico has a lot that, you know, maybe they could learn from the rest of the world but also i think the rest of the world can learn a lot from puerto rico so
1: that's actually a really good point because probably jokes on us if we're all hustle bustle <laughs> we're kind of missing all the beauty of all the things i think they've got something figured out that we don't also yeah but so. i
2: yeah but i feel like the hustle bustle is re- like you still want, you want your hot water fixed. i got it I, i'm not someone <laughs> show yeah i'm just saying If someone showed up at eleven o'clock, I wouldn't have to wait around. I could actually go out and enjoy the beaches, but we're like staying around because we have to wait for someone. Entrepreneur in
0: Puerto Rico an edge, yeah. For the more industrial entrepreneur that does want to hustle and bustle, is now going to shine ten times harder in Puerto Rico because the culture is more more laid back. Admittedly, right? Thank you guys so much for having me on. This was awesome, and I'd love to do it again.
1: Yeah, we really appreciate you for coming. This is yeah, like jam-packed.
2: So, yeah, thank you so much.
1: That is it for this episode of El Podcast. And once again, if you have found us and you're not yet subscribed, please subscribe on YouTube and Rumble. And you can also download the full podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And we will see you all on the next episode.